Soul Talk is a podcast dedicated to making space for Latinx storytellers and content creators across all media to chat about their art, experiences, and culture. As a branch of the Soul Project, Soul Talk welcomes you to the green room. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Soul Talk. We are here, David and I. Um, oh, wait, hold on. My name is Joey Reyes. <laughs> I'm the associate producer here at the Soul Project. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm here with... Hi, I'm David Mendezabel. I am the associate artistic director of the Soul Project. I use he, him pronouns still for now <laughs> to process. Oh my gosh. Wow. If that's a testament to how, where my head is this week that, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Welcome to this episode. This episode is airing on November 20th, which is Trans Day of Remembrance. So we want to make sure that we're starting here at the top by acknowledging that. However, we are actually recording this two days after election day. Um, so that's the space that David and I and our guests are in, the headspace that, that we are all in. And you'll hear as part of our conversation for today. David, can you share with our listeners who is joining us today? Yes, I am so excited. I am like fanning out um, that we are going to be joined by Lady Dane Figueroa Edidi, dubbed the ancient jazz priestess of Mother Africa. Lady Dane Figueroa Edidi is a Black, African, Cuban, Indigenous, American, trans performance artist and author. She is a Helen Hayes nominated actress, an author, an educator, and a speech writer. She's a Helen Hayes award-winning playwright for her play Clytemnestra, an epic slam poem. She also has a play for Black trans girls, Ghostwriter, The Diaz Family Talent Show, Quest of the Reed March, and The Dance of Memories. She's a two-times Helen Hayes award-nominated choreographer and co editor of the book, The Black Trans Prayer Book. She's the founder of the Inanna D Initiatives, which curates, produces, and cultivates events and initiatives designated to center and celebrate the work of TGNC artists of color. It's considered one of the most prolific artists of our time. She's the first trans woman of color to be nominated for a Helen Hayes Award and in DC to publish her work of fiction, Yemaya's Daughters. She's also the curator and co-producer of the Longworth Theater's Black Trans Women at the Center, an evening of short plays, which she co-produced with you, Joey, at Longworth Theater, and uh, was featured as Patra in King Esther, which was a web series, and acted as a story consultant for the series as well. So she is uh, busy. fully- a full, <laughs> Yes, very busy and a fully rounded artist sharing her talents in so many different arenas. Yes, I believe we call that booked and blessed. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, as you as you mentioned, uh, she she was our associate producer on the Black Trans Women at the Center, which we co-produced together uh, at Longworth Theater back in August. It feels like a million years ago at this point. Oh my goodness! But that um, that was my first co-producing credit at Longworth, and. I'm just I feel really fortunate that that just happened to be the event that that got to give me that credit. We had an amazing time, you know, curating the plays, the the writers and and the, the directors and and the actors and I'll also note too she wasn't um she wasn't just 
the curator and associate producer. She also directed and dramaturged two of the three plays. So she was she was busy that night. She also moderated the panel that was <laughs> after the event. Um, so yes, when we talk about busy, Dane is incredibly busy, but feeding us with like so much joy and truth, joy and truth, which you are going to hear today. <laughs> but before we get to that, <laughs> this feels like such a tiny question to ask, but where where are you right now? Where How are you feeling? Uh, <laughs> you know, I am halfway between distracting myself in as many ways as possible and uh, not being able to peel myself away from the news um, and also trying to find moments of breath and levity and uh, just keep myself centered. It's a process. Um, But I think like most of us, uh, you know, dealing with uh, the anxiety of the current climate in the current moment and really centering myself in the moment and recognizing the work ahead. Yeah, it's it's a it's a huge combination of of that anxiety like you mentioned and also and also and preparation, right? It's it's there's a, there's a lot of things that you're trying that we're trying to like hold and juggle and 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 balance and and you know what? I it's okay that you might not be able to I know I'm not, I'm not doing it really well. Um, I'm struggling. Um, I have been so incredibly unproductive (laughs) these last couple of days. Um, And I've just wanted to like curl up and and eat. And, you know, I don't know. I I, I, I like was brought, I brought myself to my knees the other day with the with the question, is it self-care or is it avoidance? And I don't know. part of me was like, I don't really care. Another part of me was like, yeah, but you gotta, you know, I don't know, try to figure it out. I think it's about being gentle with ourselves in these times and acknowledging that whatever you need in the moment is what you need and giving yourself permission to to have those moments of just doing nothing, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, diving into the anxiety of it all you know I teach and actually this week it's been it's been very bizarre teaching in this week but it's also been a nice distraction to um have to hold space for others you know and like these young students and artists and just holding space being being there to hold space for for others you know who might who might not have that community yet to ground themselves in you know and that even as all of these things are going on like like life continues um and there there you know and this isn't just the one thing that's happening right now that's you know affecting people absolutely Um, and and you'll hear you know in our talk with dane right now she she you know given that we this is our episode airing on trans day of remembrance she invokes the spirit of angel unique who you know who we lost this week and you know i just want to acknowledge that and bring her bring her name into the space hold that moment for her you know i mean and this isn't anything new not you know i know that in the last few years we hear about these things more often but i remember I'm, I'm going to bring another name into the space. Uh, Gwen Arajo, 
she passed in October of 2002. And I remember being eight years old and watching the news and hearing them talk about what happened to her. She was a trans Latina um, from California and watching the news. And, you know, I didn't at that point did not know um, what it meant to be a trans person. Um, you know, the way that they were telling her story, I just, like, I understood that there was a violence inflicted upon her that was completely unnecessary. And, and um, just because someone didn't like the fact that she was who she was. And um, that's the earliest memory I have personally of hearing about violence against uh, trans women, uh, trans women of color. Um, and I just, you know, I want to want to honor her 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 life and um just by bringing her into the space <sighs> thank you all so much for joining us today we will be right back with our amazing guest lady dane figueroa Etibi. Welcome to Soul Talk, Lady Dane Figueroa Ididi. Yes. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We should note to our listeners, though this is airing later in the month of November, we are recording this the week of the election. We are two days after the election. And uh, so we're sitting in the midst of still wondering what is what is going to happen, what this result will be. Just to check in, how how are you taking care of yourself in this moment? Me, um, I am trying not to necessarily like read a lot of news. I am not on Twitter as much because mm. you know folks on Twitter are like updating a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Instagram, but like Instagram is good for the memes because <laughs> baby, yes. them shits is funny. Um, and then I, you know, on Facebook still, and I think you know, on Facebook, I'm I'm like you know, seeing a little bit about the election and then I'm seeing people also like trying to like offer like some levity, right? Some jokes and stuff about like the counting mm-hmm. and um and you know, shout out to the shout out to the the counters because that is volunteer mm-hmm. and um that is a huge, huge um responsibility and yeah. a whole lot of work. And so shout out to them. So I'm really trying to like not necessarily absorb the minute by minute of the election. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, um, I now have a new idea brewing for a short that I might want to like write and film um, because I've been doing a lot of thinking because of this election, just about like um, our relationship to white folks um, and particularly like our relationship to white folks who are in our profession mm-hmm. and particularly, you know, for white cisgender folks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Just jumping laughs> right <in. laughs> oh, 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 right. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Those people. That's right. Those people. Lots, lots to think about with them. Yeah. I think there's a there's definitely we are we there's a lot of reconstruction or reformation that we're sitting in and it's like it's these like growing pains I guess is what we can call them um, 
and or lack thereof I think <laughs> there you know some of us are growing some of us are resisting <laughs> the growth um but yeah so there's there's a lot of tension there's a lot of friction and I think as you as you mentioned like people are trying their best to kind of offer up um I guess some humor right I get um some laughter some joy in the midst of of the I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want to be pessimistic either. <laughs> well, I would say like the anxiety, right? I think that like particularly for, um, I think particularly for like communities of color, I think that um, oftentimes like, you know, there is this idea of like laughing through the pain, right? And and trying to like, <laughs> and laughter becoming a coping mechanism, right? Like joking becoming like a coping mechanism of the very real um, violence that impacts our communities. Um, and so I, I'm sensing a little bit of that, right? I'm sensing that a lot of folks are really have a lot of anxiety um, and that they are trying to um, activate some form of joy to really cope with the very reality that there are a huge group of the country who is willing to vote for a tyrant despite all that he's done all the horror that he has implemented um in the name of white supremacy yeah I think that's that's something that I've been processing too. You know, uh, four years ago, living in New York, I think you know I was living in this bubble, and there was like there was no, there was no re there was no um, doubt in my mind that it was going to go a different direction. And so I think you know I've been processing these last four years with it through a different lens, you know. But my, I, I think regardless, I still went into this election with this idea that now that we've witnessed it, now that we've experienced it, now that we have all um, endured the the uh, added trauma and the um, just the the stoking of the flames of hatred and of white supremacy and and lies and and garbage that that surely. And so there's so much more language that has been introduced into the sort of greater lexicon of conversations that are happening, especially in the American theater. You know, this, the, the conversation has expanded so much outwardly, and yet numbers grew this year in a way that I was like, you've endured all of this, you've experienced it firsthand, and you're still willing to side with that even more now, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's a different, I think it's a different kind of bubble that's broken and a different kind of um, reality that we're having to experience and face. But I love that you say this idea of like activating joy to cope with it. And I think that it is true. It's like, we, we need those, those moments of joy, those moments of levity, those moments of just breath to be able to continue to, to make it through all of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I think about it, I think about too, right, that like even in this week, we also heard about the fact that a Black trans woman was murdered, right, Angel Unique, and that um, I understand the importance 
of the election for some folks. I understand that like people, um, I understand that the election will impact a whole bunch of people and it probably will impact um, the country for generations, right, to come perhaps. Um, but it's like, you know, the the death of one of our, our Black trans sisters, her story is being buried amidst all of this election chaos, right? Um, and it is, and and for me, it is it. It's like this isn't the first time that that's happened. And I think that even as we talk about the American theater, um, and particularly the industry of theater and the institution of the American theater, that like it kind of also happened um, around racial justice and trans justice. Like at the beginning of the summer, everybody was talking about racial justice and, you know, trans justice and Black Lives Matter. Everybody wanted to read all the books and do all the workshops. And it was like the minute that like the election became like a thing that was a, we was about to vote on it, right? Early voting was about to start. Everyone switched to trying to get people to vote. And so everyone then started to do initiatives about voting and while simultaneously seeming to have, um, I don't want to say abandoned, but it, it felt like abandoning, even if that is not the reality, their commitment to um, the lives of people like myself. Um, and I think that, of course, right, the, the thing would be, oh, well, people will get back to it once we know who the president is, right? Like people will get back to that. But it's like, History has shown me that that is not always the case. We went through eight years of a president who was, um, we went through eight years of a Black president who was besieged, who was sieged by a GOP-led Republican uh, Senate, Congress really, but Senate especially, who would not allow for him because he respected the three branches of government because he black and he felt like he had to play by the rules, who did not allow for him to implement the drastic um, and positive change that he wanted to for the country. Um, and also denied him a Supreme Court pick. So like, and I watched people become lulled into um, complacency and complicity. So of course, right, four years ago, I think a lot of folks, right, had an assumption that the country was not what the country is. And that 2016 taught us who the country is. Um, and some folks, right, when they are confronted with the truth of who they are, they will dive into an accountability process, a process of um, transformative justice. And then there are some folks who, when they are confronted with who they are, they will choose to become defensive and gaslight and do the same shit that they did yesterday. So here we are. It's interesting. I think all, all of that, you know, you bring that up. There's also this idea that, you know, I think in that, in that pivot towards the election, I felt 
that there was this idea that if we elected Joe Biden for presidency, we would like fix it all, you know? And I think <laughs> there's this glaring reality that we're, we're, we're sort of faced with that it's like, there is so much work to do. And the, the talking and the conversating and the coming up with new words and all of this, that's, that's not the work. And I, and, you know, I appreciate you for bringing in uh, into the space Angel, especially since this episode will air on uh, Trans Day of Remembrance. And, you know, as the 34th trans woman of color that was taken from us this year, this year, alone. And so, you know, and those conversations around equity and liberation are conversations. And then there's the reality, you know, and the reality of either one of these men is not going to save us, you know, and I, and I love that you talk about that, uh, what that real transformative justice looks like and, and accountability and that it has to start with the self. Like you have to want to hold yourself accountable. You know, I think there's this idea that like I can hold someone else accountable. And it's like, no, you can't, you know, they have to want to hold themselves. And it's a, it's an individual journey. Or I think pay the price, right. Or I think pay the price for what that means, whatever that price is. Right. Um, what is the price? What is the price yeah. of um, what is the price of not of not being accountable? What is that? And it's you know it's so interesting because I feel like so many of the conversations that started at the beginning of the summer and that are happening now for Black trans girls, which is a book of poetry that I wrote. It's a choreo poem. It's if you know it's a literary daughter of um, Ansonakishami's um, for color girls. But like, I remember hearing from a friend of mine, right? That like, oh, your play does not let up on like white people at all for 90 minutes. And I was like, I was like, well, I mean, I feel like there are moments where they're like talking about other things. Like, you know, they're having, they're laughing, they're kicking with each other, right? And they're demonstrating, right? What it means to be in community with Black trans women. And I was like, you know, my job as a writer and as an artist is not to hold the hands of white people, not to prioritize the gaze of white people, and most certainly not care about the feelings of white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just very interesting that like we are now here and that that piece could have could have literally um could have literally activated within the conversation of american theater these critical conversations that now i feel like so many theater institutions are haphazardly having um and are not having in a way that is truly that truly centers accountability from the institution healing for the community and transformation for the relationship. Yeah. You know, it, it's a piece that is available for purchase on your website. I'm going to put that plug um, and uh, uh, I'll put that plug for you. Uh, it's it's also a piece, you know, I, I have to say, I've not had the opportunity to read it. I will be buying it today, but I know that you did a reading of it at Joe's Pub a year ago or a couple years ago and year my ago. partner went, yeah, my partner went. And he could not stop talking about it. He was so, he just was so incredibly floored by the performances and by the writing. And, you know, when I think about so many stories, so many artists whose work I love and have championed in some of these 
predominantly white institutions and the ways in which people weren't ready for uh, we we don't we didn't didn't know what to do with it you know and it's like here we are the, there are consequences there are consequences and I can't help but feel especially now in all of this our and I say our as a as someone in the field our complicity in this all you know our complicity as a field in the 34 deaths, our complicity in the field in the civil uprisings, our complicity in the field that it took so much to get us to begin to have these conversations that so many of us were having behind closed doors and weren't afforded any space to have to the people in power. And so, yeah, so buy this play and produce this play (laughs) when we can do theater. Say this before we move forward, though. I think that, like, the idea of hopelessness within the theater institution is a byproduct of white supremacy, right? Totally. And I will say, in the predominantly um, white theater institutions, the idea of, like, how do we do this? What do we do? Oh, my God. How do we talk to our board? How do we demand? Oh, my God. Like, the, you know, this idea that like there is not power in community or in collective organizing or the collective push for a more humane and liberated and and free and transformative American theater. Like this idea that we don't have the power to say to funders and or to bo- to the board or or you know or to backers as they call they used to call that mm-hmm. we want to do this piece because it is the right thing to do it will shift the world in the ways that the world needs to be shifted absolutely and the question is is like why why not at least make the ask if not the demand right yeah. and it's like you- go ahead yeah I was going to say, you're going to lose money doing that boring ass white play anyway (laughs) that nobody wants to go see. Do you know why not do something that's actually going to put something out into the world? Yeah. But then the complaint, the complaint, Black people don't want to come to our theater. Brown people don't want to come to our theater. Indigenous people don't want to come to our theater. Trans people don't want to come to our theater. They don't want to come to your theater because you continue to do the same five dead white men over and over again. And then if not the five dead white men, you're doing mediocre white male playwrights. Mm. And nobody wants to see that shit for the 20,000th time. Mm -hmm. No. Speak that. We want new stories. We want new stories. And we also want to actually experience ourselves reflected on the stage. That is our right. And actually, the American theater owes that to us. They owe it to us. And so, like, when I think about the numbers, right, it was, what, over 90% of something of plays produced on American theater stages last year were, like, uh, y'all need to double-check that number. <laughs> but I know, it was, I know it, was, it was more than half, and I know it was an extremely high number oh, yes. of most of the, the plays produced on the American theater stages last year were white, cis, male mm-hmm. playwrights. Yeah. And how ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is that in a world in which there is there are so many stories that allow for the expansiveness of the human experience 
to simply center on this one perspective. Um, it is ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. And dare I say, it is despicable. Yeah. And so, like, child, child, it's, <laughs> it's like, who wants to see that shit still? And I'm like, in 2021, I know folks are going to be now talking about, right, recovering, right, recovering their coin, recovering their... I, I don't, I still, I I just don't want to motherfucking see another motherfucking Our Town. I just don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like seeing a white people's Our Town. I don't. They better turn that shit on its motherfucking head and do something else with it. Like, because yep. <laughs> child, I'm, I'm not invested in that boring shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I'm just relishing this, all of that right now. Um, it's interesting too. I'm you're kind of you're starting to speak to, and this is this is a question that I wanted to to bring into the conversation: is what is the role of art in all of this, right? In our democracy, in responding to events in real time, you know, and then what is our role as as artists, right? And I know that you're you're a multi hyphenate, and and like even in just a lot. I mean, you and I've only known each other for just a few months, and we had the privilege of working together on uh, Black Trans Women at the Center at Long Wharf Theater and like was such a such a fulfilling experience because like you were saying it it brings in it expands the circle of humanity right to the where we're not just centering cis white people you know I've only I've only been working in my career for about four years now out of undergrad and this was like the first time that I was like really jazzed about work on um, like really, really, really so excited because this was like something that that represented what I wanted to see more of in the theater. And I was like finally in a place that was that was saying, yes, let's do that. And then we were actually investing the time and resources and saying, oh, if we're going to be doing this evening of plays about black trans women we need to have black trans women involved so like you know and it's and it it's it's just i don't know i think it's it's not what i'm trying to say is like it's not hard it's not hard to make those shifts and i think a lot of the time people make the excuses institutions institutional leaders the white american theater will make the excuse that they can't find these people you know, what's that? I think it was like on Twitter or something. Somebody said, if Beyonce can find like a 24 piece, 20, 24 like black saxophone players, then you can, you know, you can find a black playwright for your season, a living black playwright for your season, you know, like something like that. And it's not, there's just, there's no more room for excuses is what I'm like really trying to get at. And I'm just so happy that we're, you know, pushing for all of that. Yeah. But uh, what do you, what are you seeing as like the future of our art of like what of our role as artists and the role of art in like getting more embedded in our, in our communities? Well, I think, you know, one, I will say this, I think the role of the artist and the gift of art, right. Um, well, one of the roles of the artist, right. One of the gifts of art is that it helps to, and I've said this before, probably for like 20,000 years, right? It helps to actually activate the imagination in folks. And what white supremacy does, right? White supremacy actually tries to kill the imagination because white supremacy is not a system of solutions and or progress. It is a system of stagnation and death with no rebirth. And so the artist's job, the artist's job is one of life and rebirth. And that if there is any death 
<laughs> and the ark, it is so that we may be born again, new and better than before, new and more us than before, new and more expansive than before. And so the role of the artist is one of dreamer, um, manifester, and doer, and demonstrator, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, I think art is deeply spiritual. You know, the first theater that happened was ritual. And I mean, before the Greeks, honey, I mean, back in Africa. The first theater that happened was spiritual. The first, the first putting on of character into, I should say, channeling of character was spiritual. And so theater itself is innate, innately spiritual and tied to the heart of humanity. And so I think that in these moments, as we talk about our future, in the American theater, with the American theater, you know, <laughs> with the survival of the American theater, it must be one in which the institution itself is willing to confront, to heal, to demonstrate what a world free of oppression can look like and be like and feel like and, and, and be. It must be at the forefront of social justice and social change, not lagging behind. Because I believe that the American theater has a sacred duty to invest in its calling, which is to change this world for the better. And, and pandering, and let me say this, because there are people who would say, doing certain plays does do that, right? And dare I say, that pandering to the white gaze, that performative allyship, none of those things have ever made the world better. They have just reinforced an idea of abuser dynamics, which means um, it has made us feel like POC, like we must pander to oppressors in order to get a shred of the scraps and try to pretend as if those scraps are a feast. And so dare I say that we must, in the American theater, we must be willing to dismantle our own internalized white supremacy, our, our, own, um, our own willingness, complicity, and complacency when engaging to engage with abuser dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, what you said when you said the artist's job is one of life and rebirth, that just resonates with me so much. And it's the job of the institution is to let the artists do their job, center the artists, because the artists are the ones in this moment of loss and death who are going to be bringing that rebirth into the world. And the so, institution should be a cradle. Yeah. And not a grave. Mm -hmm. And so many of these institutions have become graves. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I just get yeah, like, yes, all of it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Rewind and re-listen. <laughs> As Joey mentioned earlier, you, you wear all the hats. You know, uh, as your as your website says, the ancient jazz priestess of Mother Africa. But as a you're a brilliant actress, a writer, a director as well, a producer, as I feel like all of us artists have to be. And I'm curious, you know, about your your own individual journey into art and artistry, and and you, as you talk about like the spiritual realm and and that sort of um, how how that manifests for yourself in in your practice. Um, you know, I talked about this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so I grew up in a family of artists, right? Like even if even if they would not consider themselves artists, we all you know my granddaddy he played the guitar. Um, he passed away before I was born. But, you know, my Cuban granddaddy, he played the guitar. And then they say he used to play at the speakeasy. Then he found Jesus. I guess Jesus was under the couch or something, child. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. My grandfather probably was like, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> would you just say about Jesus? Um, but, you know, they said that he played, you know, he played guitar. And that what he did was that he um, encouraged all of, you know, my my mama and my aunties and my, you know, my, my uncles um, to sing in the church choir. So he created this little choir in the neighborhood um, for everybody to sing. And um, so growing up, like, you know, we used to have like family dinners and we used to do talent shows and folks used to sing and we used to gather around and you know, everybody had some type of artistic gift, mm. even if everybody couldn't sing. So some folks could dance or write. <laughs> um, <laughs> some folks could do it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tucks hair behind ear. <laughs> but, um, but with that said, you know, um, it was super, super important, right? And I always say, you know, I say my family, we didn't speak Spanish, but we knew how to dance salsa. Um, mm. And so the art was, it, it, you know, it, it was deeply important to us. And my aunt Liz, I, you know, I talk about my mom, I talk about my aunt Jimmy, who was trans, and I talk about my aunt Liz, because they, they really fostered my love of the art in a way by taking me to shows. Yes, some Chitlin Circuit, honey, uh -huh. but then also some Broadway shows that toured, right? So like I actually got to witness um, the tour of The Wiz wow. with, with um, Andre DeShields and Stephanie Mills. Wow. Um, and you know, at that time I was little, so like I didn't realize that, that Andre DeShields was from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and you know, I had loved Andre DeShields because of hey, misbehaving. So, um, yeah, I got to, you know, it, it was such an incredible experience and I got to see Porgy and Bess and, and it was black, it was all black people, right? So I saw folks who looked like me re reflected on stage. Um, and then my aunt Liz, who I talk about often because she was, you know, y'all talk about me being, you know, multi-hyphenate. She was an academic and activist and an artist. She was a jazz singer and she would tour up and down the East Coast with her husband, who was a jazz pianist. So I also grew up in, I grew up around jazz musicians too. 
And she, you know, she was one of the first curators of the Great Blacks and Whites Museum in Baltimore. And if anybody, if y'all ever go to Baltimore, go visit this museum. So I was also a little child and I grew up around this museum witnessing like, um, you know, it's this monument, it's this shrine to Black people, to Black brilliance, to the story of Black people. And then my aunt also put books in front of my face and she said, you will not you know, there are certain things about who you are that you need to know and learn. And you will not learn those things within a Western, white, institutional school setting. So read, 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 right? And so, yes, that is kind of how, like, the love of the art was, like, fostered in me, right? And how I was able to then have a family that supported my gift of art. As far as, you know, connecting the spirituality and the art together, I, you know, I'm a priestess and it's, (laughs) you know, and I'm, and I'm a healer and, and, um, you know, I felt at a very early age that there was a responsibility, um, to activate clarity in folks about who they were. So I was a little kid writing about, you know, writing about loving yourself, loving your blackness, right? Like we gotta love the land. We gotta we gotta love the indigenous peoples, right? A child writing these things, right? Like a little kid. And as I grew, the art, my gift expanded and, 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 and grew. And so here we are. I love it. I love it. It is a, a blessing that you share those talents with all of us. And it is a shame that people get in your way. <laughs> um, because these are talents that, that, that we, we can only be so fortunate to be able to um, experience. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. You're sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm hanging on to this this piece that you mentioned about about being the healer. If there's anything that we we all need right now, I think it's it's to have some healing, to find some joy and and to care for one another. What does that look like to you? Oh my goodness, child, we'll be here all night. <laughs> I think part of it is understanding the connectivity of not just human to human, right? Not just divine being to divine being, but us to the earth. It's about leveraging my access to, and and I would say if anyone has any kind of access, right? Leveraging your access to, to resources, to space, to institutions, right? To make sure that those those places are are really places worth saving and and sometimes that looks like right making making an evening in which we you know have a whole bunch of black trans women getting paid in the sky <laughs> <laughs> where we are producing the work of black trans women where we are allowing for black trans women to have um ownership of what they want the story to look like etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. 
um, or I should, I, I shouldn't say let, right. It really is about like, um, honoring, right. Where we should, where we honor, um, black trans women's right to tell the types of stories they want to tell and how they want to tell them. It looks like, you know, if you're able shooting money into people's PayPal's or Venmo's or, um, so that they can have some semblance of, of, of sustainability. Sometimes it's as mundane as, as quote unquote mundane as that, right? It's coin. Yeah. I mean, I could be here all night, like talking about like some of the ways I think that that can happen, but you know, the, the ultimate question is, is like, how are we, how are we actually, how are we actually in right relationship with one another? How are you in right relationship with yourself first? And then how are you in right relationship? Um, with community and then what is our responsibility beyond just like being like well I'm gonna get mine and I'm gonna just leave all the rest of you holes like in the dust right what is our responsibility to make sure that um that our that everybody got a seat at the table and that everyone's and that everyone's um and particularly black and indigenous people and especially Black and Indigenous trans women and and making sure that like we understand the role that privilege, white supremacy and respectability plays um, in our own engagements with the world. Amazing. Beautiful. I'm hanging. I'm oh, so good. I am hearing in this too, like the power of of chosen family. I think that's something that, that has played such a, a important role in my life, especially because where I am in the country is, you know, completely opposite from where my blood family is back in Southern California. Um, and especially, you know, when I, when I moved to the East Coast three years ago on my own, I relied on, on people, right, that, that, could, that could help me. And, and you know, I think it, it's 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 interesting too when I when I reflect back on my childhood and how much you know, I don't know I don't know if it's it was just like my Mexican family or if it I don't know what it, if like the generations, but they were like, you can never depend on your friends, you know, your family always comes first, and this is and that, and I understand that to a point, but like when you know you've expanded your community and you've come out, you know, to a different part of the world and you start meeting people from all these different backgrounds and you realize like the power in community right I grew up in the Christian denomination and you know Sam I grew up in the yeah yeah Sam I grew up in the church and you know for me theater has become my new church you know I don't necessarily align with with the Christian faith anymore but um, for me, like everything that I did get out of church that, that brought me joy, I get tenfold being in the theater and being able to work with people like David, like you, Dane, um, and, and be part of the teams that I just happen to be a part of. Like I, I, I very fortunately have to be a part of. So I just want to like continue to invoke that in this conversation is the, the power, the power of community and chosen family, um, and and even people who have like come and gone in our lives too. Yeah. It's also, you know, you mentioned earlier, 
in your in your youth writing about loving yourself and you said it again you know that how are you in right relationship with one another but first with yourself and and then with community and i've been reflecting about that so much especially in this moment of pause whatever we want to call it um um that we are in and and in thinking about the healing that has to happen in the world so much of it has to begin with oneself you know and it's again with this idea of like your own individual accountability your own accountability to yourself to to the work that you have to do um because how can you show up to the revolution if you aren't showing up for yourself you know um and so i just yeah I, I, you know and and community is is you know how can you show up for your community you have to show up for yourself too you know and so it's all it's also tied and i and i love that framework of healing uh that you offer and yeah a, a lot to a lot to think about in this and i you know in this particular moment and and again just you know in reflect on as we're all sitting here waiting to find out, you know, the fate of our country. I think we've already found out the fate of our country in so many ways, you know, uh, uh, regardless of which old white man is sitting in that house. It's, you know, it's just, I like, what, how uninspiring. I was like, look at these two old white men. It's like, <laughs> you know, option A or option B. But, you know, I think in so many ways, like we've, we know the fate now, we know the work that's ahead of us. Yeah. And so I, it is, I, I think to like, how are you in right relationship with yourself? How are you in right relationship with one another and with the community? Because that's what's going to be required of us as a field, as artists, as human beings moving forward, because this next fight, whatever it is ahead of us is going to be, it's going to require that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and we, and we also have to make, we have to stop making excuses um, for, we have to stop making excuses for the despicable hate behavior of people, right? We have to stop, um, we have to stop, you know, using words like, oh, economic (laughs) anxiety and or, Mm -hmm. uh, For reason why someone would vote against their own interests, right? Like, um, <clears throat> and so, or not even just vote against their own interests, right? But then would vote for someone who would then exploit them and and um, mm-hmm. destroy them, really, right? And so, um, you know, th- these as as artists. I understand that so many artists, right? Like they're always trying to understand the human psyche. Like, why do people do what they do? Let's, right? We got to make the, all the characters sympathetic, and we got to, you know, we got to all, we got to make them all three dimensional. We have yeah. to, you know, there are no villains here. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like, and 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 you know, theater is is. I always say that theater is not the. Uh, I would say that you know the thing that happens on stage is not the reality, right? It's the reality of doing. Um, and that like, okay, that can be cute in a play, but, um, in my real life, I'm going to like, my friends are not people who actively are, um, invested in, 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 in the genocide of myself or my communities. And so, um, I think we got to get a little bit clear about what is a opinion and what is an, what is violence. And what is an active disregard of life, mm, right? 
as we are winding down here, um, these last few moments, I, I want I want you to use this opportunity to to invoke um, if that's if those are names, if that's a phrase, if that's you know like what what is what is coming to you right now that like you want to leave our listeners with as we're closing out. Oh gosh, I would say you know do the work, do the work, do the deep intentional and transformative work that is necessary for us to all not simply live, not simply survive, but to thrive. There is a world in which each and every person in the world can thrive. So do the work, especially to gain the clarity to invest in that type of world. Scraps do not make a feast, baby. And listen, I don't, I think somebody, I think, I think, um, I was mm. like, somebody said scraps don't make a feast. Um, I need to, we need to probably figure who that was. I know it was a black woman who said that. It was a black woman who said that, okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, do the work. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, is it, what, what can we, what can we look forward to? What's coming up? for you? Oh my goodness. So uh, several things. Okay. So I I was telling you, I don't know if I said this earlier. I don't know if it was on the podcast or it was like before we started recording, but (laughs) you know, this whole situation with the election has really, it has sparked um, me wanting to write like a three person, either like a short, right? Like a 20 minute short or a, Mm -hmm. um, or a three-person play, like, you know, maybe a 10-minute play that takes place at a holiday dinner after the election in a um, multiracial family. Mm. Um, And that the protagonist would be, you know, a Black trans woman who's the girlfriend of this guy, and she's come to a holiday dinner with this family of people. And so... um, and then the third character is, of course, the other character would be the boyfriend, right? And then the third character would be a cousin of this said boyfriend. So that's mm. kind of like what I've got cooking now. Oh, gosh. Don't nobody try to steal my idea. Uh, <laughs> no, trademark that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't try to steal my idea, honey. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to um, I'm gonna work on that this weekend. Actually, I'm going to write that. And then... I, of course, just released a book called Infrastructure of a Nation that is, it's it's poems, it's poetry, prose, and ponderings on um, revolutions, rebirth, and remembering how to love. So there there are some love poems there. There are, of course, things about voting, and um, there are things about, um, you know, um, our right to, like, heal and shit uh, <laughs> and also like you know a critique on um the u.s imperialist system um i um rep stage is going to be um so i'm in conversation with rep stage now i don't know how much i can reveal but my world premiere is still happening um it may be pushed back because we want to um, make sure that everyone is as safe as possible. It was supposed to premiere in February 2021, but we, I mean, we have a fucking president and a fucking administration and a 
fucking GOP-led Senate who does not care about anybody's life. And so over 200,000 people are dead and um, safety precautions and a federal plan was not put in place. So um, we know that it may not necessarily be safe to actually return to in-person shows. So that mm-hmm. that probably will be pushed back to 21, 22. Um, but we've got something else cooking um, that would allow for folks to experience something of the play. <laughs> um, so we shall see how that's going to go. Um, so that's something I've got cooking. I'm still working on my book. She, I know a thousand things, y'all. Um, I'm still working on List them, list them. You know, I'm still working on She of, you know, She of the Fallen Stars, which is my book that takes place in, it's a space opera, it's a novel, but, you know, a space opera takes place in the year 4000. Um, it's about four Black trans women across the galaxy, across the universe, right, who, different professions, and they, they all are connected somehow, and you learn in the book how they're all connected. Um, and I am, um, working on something else that I don't think I can share publicly. (laughs) Um, yeah. And of course on a bunch of panels and, and doing some, you know, restorative justice work, et cetera. And, um, I think I can share this on this panel. Um, you know, Black Trans Women at the Center is going to be an annual event at Long Wharf. And so, Um, I will be co-producing and co-curating that for next year as well. So that's something for any Long Wharf listeners out there to look forward to um, in in the future. And, you know, writing and writing and shit and writing and shit and writing and shit. So, um, (laughs) and there probably probably will be another reading uh, for Black trans girls virtually. Um, I am currently in conversations now with perhaps doing a... um, a world premiere that would that it would premiere in several that it would travel so like it'd be a it'd be a team of theaters that would come together to co-produce it and it would go to each of those theaters for two weeks so I'm in conversations about that and I can share that publicly um but I want you know I want it to be the right I want it to be the right type of setup mm-hmm. um because I think that I think that the I, I think that even beyond the country needing to hear this, needing to experience this play, um, I think that it's deeply important for us to um, have this play in multiple places so that Black trans women can experience this play, um, can take part in this play, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, those are just, a few things I've got coming up. <laughs> Just a few little things, you know. <laughs> we will you we will link your website in our show description so people can like keep up with you and then and you know get your social media handles in there too so people can can follow you and and just like track this amazing incredible journey. Um yeah again thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. It's been wonderful. Of course. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah, thank you. And we will see you next time. Welcome back. We have just just completed our, our little session here with Lady Dane. And right before I push record, David and I were already reeling from this amazing conversation. Uh. <laughs> It was just so, there's just, 
an energy and uh, 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 she has an energy that is just so, um, I want to say infectious, but that word is so weird. <laughs> that, uh, 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 she just, she, yeah, there's just, a, there's yeah. a power there, a power, a grounded, you know, and, and I love when she was talking about uh, uh, the spiritual roots of the theater and that connection as a priestess that she has to those, you can feel it, you know, in the, in the power and precision of everything that she made us think about. And I, and I really do hope folks will like listen and listen again and process and, mm -hmm. you know, heed her word to do the work. Absolutely. And you know, what's, what's interesting. And I love that you say that, that like, I know I've been struggling over the last few months to even like, as someone who is very empathic and very like thrives off of being around other people physically. Um, I guess they call that an extrovert. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> like my relationship with Dane has only existed in the virtual space over the, these last few months since we first worked together. And despite that, that energy that you're talking about just like passes through hearing her speak like does something to me um that just like makes me feel grateful to be alive and to like and to and to know her and it makes me feel connected to to artistry in a way that I don't normally feel so connected you know I've I've spent a large amount of my time now producing and and I once was an actor and also you know directed at one point um and and I feel those parts of me become activated and when I'm like sharing um sharing words with her and it and it's like it's magic, right? That's that's what I that's what I call it. It's magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, so we absolutely encourage you all to stay connected with Dane, as I mentioned. Her website will be linked below. Buy her literature, all of it. Yes. Read it consume it, share it with your friends, buy copies. Listen, we are a month away from the giving season. And so like start spread, start spreading this joy and sharing it with, with people. Absolutely. As she mentioned, you know, healing is as simple as that coin, you know, <laughs> put some coin, uh, put some coin in her pocket, buy her books. She's got books of poetry, novellas, novels, such powerful words and a vision, a vision of a new paradigm that we could all be so fortunate to move towards and move into in this next chapter of whatever our field will become and whatever our country will become. It's in us, you know, uh, it's, in, it's in us and it's in being in that right relationship with oneself and expanding who we're listening to, whose stories we're hearing um, and honoring as she said, honoring a black trans woman's right to tell the story that she wants to tell, how she wants to tell it and where and when she wants to tell it, so. Yes. Ah, just take my little, <laughs> my little deep breath, my little sigh. I know. Um. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful moment of joy in this, in this week that has felt like a year oh and has only yes. been two days, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah, really, really lovely. Thank you all so much for, for listening again uh, with us. Uh, we have just a few more episodes left in our fall season. So make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss those. Rate us, review us, all of those things. Follow us on social media. Um, and we will see you in December. 
Thank you for listening to Soul Talk. Soul Talk is a branch of the Soul Project, a national theater initiative dedicated to producing the work of Latinx playwrights in New York City and beyond. Co-hosted by David Mendezabal and Joey Reyes. Edited by Ira Zacarias. You can follow us at www.soulproject.org, on Instagram and Twitter at soulprojectnyc, and on Facebook at The Soul Project. Thank you for listening. Thank you.